0: Imagine a world where Alexa can tell you the latest, greenest, safest and most cost-effective way to design, deliver or operate something.
1: A project manager is sitting down to breakfast, eating her cornflakes. She is able to get updates from the worksite and see real-time, relevant analysis of what has worked effectively in the past. What decisions have led to the best outcomes?
0: And things that have gone wrong in the past. Things that need to be watched out for. Its proponents say such a system could almost become like a crystal ball, presenting a number of options or recommendations about the criticality of this decision or that action at a particular time.
1: In a sector where projects are always fiendishly complex, and as they scale in size, they become more and more difficult to manage and optimise. This has to sound attractive.
0: Being able to benchmark performance and so analyse risk, identify opportunities and inform decision making.
1: And provide consistent and accurate data on critical factors such as commercial carbon safety as well as complete cost transparency.
0: Hello and welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Alex Conacher.
1: And I'm Ryan Owen.
0: In this episode, we've partnered with Costain to talk about a major programme that is being spearheaded by the UK's transport sector, the Transport Infrastructure Efficiency Strategy Living Lab, TIES Living Lab, or just The Living Lab for short.
1: We're also going to look at a critical piece of enabling technology for this scheme, the Intelligent Infrastructure Control Centre, IICC.
0: If you aren't already a little familiar with these programmes, that may sound like a lot to take in, so first, some background. A living lab can take many forms, but is a kind of research environment where a number of different organisations come together to develop a new way of doing things. It's about bringing people together into a hub to test new ideas. And in the case of UK infrastructure, it's about how to turn the vast amounts of data generated by UK infrastructure projects into more intelligent decision making.
1: It is a concept created by the Department for Transport, Highways England, Transport for London, Network Rail and other public bodies with the mission to drive efficiency savings across the nation in infrastructure.
0: Here is Neil Robertson, the Chief Executive of the National Skills Academy for Rail, to explain. He is a man who has spent decades persuading organisations to spend money to save money in the infrastructure sector.
2: The living lab, uh, the name is on the tin. So let's do the lab bit first. That is where some very clever people take data and do things with it that hasn't been done before to develop insights, especially in the field of whole life costings, whole life value, yeah? So we're familiar with that in our house. So we might buy a more expensive boiler on the assumption that it, lasts longer and is cheaper to maintain, that's a whole life cost and a whole life value. We don't do enough of that in infrastructure, especially not in uh, transport infrastructure, so we, it's not been a part of what we do, whereas it's a normal part of, say, manufacturing.
0: So that's the lab part of the name, looking at what decisions have been made in other projects that result in long-term value, while the living part of the name… The living
2: bit is to take the exciting ideas, some, not all, but some of the exciting ideas that come from this, come from this understanding, this insight that you can spend money to make an improvement in the long term, is taking those out into the world. That's the living bit. And there's a range of things from very, very technical things like Costain and the IICC, right through to things that everybody will understand, like bridges, foot bridges. So that's the living bit. So it's applying the, if you like, the insights from the the benchmarking. And if you want to be really honest, this is not rocket science, but we haven't done it before and it's difficult, or we haven't done it systematically. And what we're really trying to do is make this normal. So the purpose of Living Lab is to make this kind of activity the norm, as it is in other sectors.
0: And the technological enabler, if you will, that sits within this living lab is the Intelligent Infrastructure Control Centre. Here is Tim Embley, Research and Innovation Director for Costain, the company leading the development of the IICC.
3: The Intelligent Infrastructure Control Centre, the IICC, is a technology platform that allows lots of data to come in from different sources into a platform to be visualized and then benchmarked. And this will allow uh, both government clients and members of the supply chain to understand where there's productivity savings and efficiency drives in the demonstration projects that have been put forward in the Living Lab. So the IICC becomes a very fundamental part for the running of the Living Lab, allowing innovation to be transferred So Network Ray are able to share their best practices within the Living Lab to allow innovation to be transferred from one organisation to another organisation a lot quicker than it ever has been done before.
1: So the Control Centre is essentially a secured virtual platform that allows certain organisations to access certain data sets that they have rights to. At the moment, this is other organisations within the Living Lab But in the future, it could be all contractors working for a particular rail operator, for example.
0: But first comes the data
3: gathering. The uh, Living Lab project's a two-year programme. We're currently developing the IICC. We have a number of demonstrations uh, where the IICC will demonstrate the the benefits of collecting data, analysing it, uh, and then turning it out. We do have a, a roadmap in place, and that roadmap outlines the user requirements and then develops modules to satisfy those user requirements. Telematics being the first module, because obviously a lot of work happens with machines on on, uh, engineering and infrastructure sites at the start of projects, whether it's earthworks or piling activity. So data can be taken in from those machines. There are other modules such as commercial programming, quality and whole life that we'll start to look at as we start to get more involved in the demonstration projects and the technology then starts to uh, develop around those user needs.
0: And there are four proof of concept projects or demonstrators that are being undertaken. And these are all real projects. They aren't just about abstract idea generation.
3: So we've got four demonstrations, Network Rail are providing one of the demonstrations and that's called the footbridge the whole premise around the the footbridge is to demonstrate off-site manufacture and how off-site manufacture and standardization will deliver efficiencies in a construction environment so network rail have a, a competition where they have developed a, a vision for a footbridge across a railway line they've got a number of these it's quite a standard design But these footbridges often become heart of the uh, community and a significant sort of crossing point across uh, the the railway line. So it's important these footbridges are inspirational, but also cost effective and embrace the modern methods of construction uh, to drive efficiency. So the IICC will monitor four phases of the network uh, rail footbridge. First, the, the design phase, which is designing for manufacture. The second phase is the manufacturing, so this is all the work that happens in a manufacturing off-site. It will then look at the logistics of how to get the off-site manufactured footbridge onto site and components just in time applying some of the latest thinking around lean production and then the installation phase uh, and essentially that, that will be extremely rapid And then that's where a lot of the efficiency savings will be gained from that manufacturing approach.
0: The remaining projects are coming from Transport for London.
3: Transport for London are putting forward three other demonstrations. One are looking at cable trays. So a lot of cables are now being put into the uh, London Underground due to digital signalling, all the critical, non-critical systems that have to go into trains to manage, to look after the uh, passengers and uh, basic communications. So that that is very much a design demonstrator.
0: Next is a project that will appeal to anyone who has spent time travelling on the London Underground, especially during a heatwave.
3: If you've ever travelled on the London Underground, it's often uh, quite a hot environment. The the cooling panels is one, one of the demonstrations that Transport for London have put forward, and that's essentially designing a cooling panel, uh, essentially an inverted radiator that takes the uh, hot air out of the air, cools it and then uh, allows the air to be a lot cooler for you and I who travel on the the London Underground. Uh, So that's another offsite manufacturing example. And then thirdly, due to the upgrades of the Piccadilly line, Transport for London are looking at more efficient and effective ways to install the signalling system on the Piccadilly line uh, and looking at off-site manufacturing approaches to deliver a lot of the signal houses along that upgrade of that particular line. So that, that's very much focused around off-site manufacture, building these structures that are going to ha- house all the critical, non-critical signalling systems. and. Design that for uh, manuf- manufactured off-site to allow installation on-site uh, so that's the third and final demonstration from Transport for London.
0: The IICC will compare this new data to traditional ways of doing similar projects.
3: The IICC will take data from previous baseline projects where they might have done it quite traditionally so there'll be a baseline of uh, old ways of doing it and then these new demonstration projects will be brought in and then they'll look at the certain phases across the uh, evolution of the project to see where those efficiency savings are made. So as we redesign the delivery process, there'll be certain things that get uh, brought forward into the process to get efficiency savings uh, further on down, down the process. So this project is all about the data and demonstrating the business case for change
0: and it is also taking information from construction machinery on other projects.
3: The IICC is taking data from a number of machines on construction sites in something called the telematics module. That data comes in from uh, those construction machines into the platform to analyse how efficient and understand activities on a construction site. That then allows us to process that information and visualise which machines, which construction projects, are being effective and efficient. And then we're able to benchmark against those different projects through the activities that they're doing.
1: But this is all fairly basic information. Monitoring the performance of machines to produce a best practice benchmark? This is done in other sectors, looking at what processes can be standardised to produce the best outcomes. Why not infrastructure? Here's Neil again.
2: This is quite a simple answer, actually, is we've not been asked to do this before. So the clients have not been properly, systematically, firmly asked to do this. Believe it or not, you know, how do you measure Network Rail, Highways, England? Of course, money's been part of it.
0: But more importantly has just been to get the road fixed, get the railway fixed. Do it and do it safely.
2: Safety has been a huge priority and we've made huge st- strides in that. But in because these are public companies, they're measured in a slightly different way than, say, private companies in utilities. So we look to utilities for a lot of our case studies and learning here because utilities were asked to do it by the regulators. Now, our regulator, the ORR...
0: The ORR, the Office of Rail and Road
2: has asked for this, of course, in terms of efficiency, but it's never, it, it's never had the, the, the highest priority. It's, and that's the really frank and honest answer. So it's not that anyone's done it wrong, it's just we've been doing other things.
0: But now with the data about to be at our fingertips, the actual evidence that one action is just better and will lead to a better overall outcome, what's the most exciting realisation? From a personal perspective,
2: as someone who has spent a lot of his career trying to persuade companies to invest in innovations and in their people, the, the having the insights, the proof to put in front of a grumpy finance director to say, if you spend £5 now on people technology uh, doing things differently, it will save you £3 or six pounds or nine pounds later. For me, that simple equation of being able to prove that indubitably is is what, what excites me. Because once we've got that, I don't need to persuade people. Yeah, it's not a persuasion exercise. The bit of paper in front of that FD, there you are, bye. and And he or she will. So that's what I'm most excited about.
0: But it's not all about cost and value-add. With the new focus on getting the country to net zero, the consortium working on this project has another focus.
4: So, hi, I'm Zoe Rogers, and I'm Costain's Digital Sustainability Lead. My uh, responsibility is to to think about the the carbon metrics that we should be considering. Exactly which bits of carbon do we want to to measure? Um, For example, there's, there's the embodied carbon materials as well as things like the construction carbon emissions that are released during the building phases. And a lot of the work I do is actually engaging with, with the supply chain and talking to them about the types of information, specifically again, carbon information that we want from them, how we want it, the sort of formats, um, and also we're sort of telling them what we're going to do, do with that information and, and showing the benefit that it brings to them as the supply chain.
0: This process is about matching up data that is held on file and looking at the benefits that can be gained from making small changes and carbon reductions to a project without impacting its main aims. Basically, the easy wins.
4: So what we tend to do with it is, is we collect it for the, for the design. So there's there's different stages in, in the project that we want to collect carbon information for. Firstly, is, is that design stage. Uh, and by having that information, we can we can look at it and we can drive improvements within this in, within our suppliers. So we can maybe turn around and say, actually this is still quite a high uh, carbon material do you have anything more innovative which will have a reduced carbon impact because we want that and that's what we want from from you and we're really trying to collect their information to help uh, improve our carbon calculations to improve our understanding of where our carbon impacts in our design are are coming from so that then we can push back onto our designers and say Maybe you should use a different material, a different quantity. Have you considered this, or to sort of try and reduce the carbon uh, in, in the design? And then there's the construction phase, and again we use suppliers. So plant materials is a big one, um, and that's where the IIC is quite um, is very useful because we can collect plant telematic information directly from the suppliers, which will include a whole range of data not just carbon information but this way we can we can link it up so it's how long do they use their plant machinery for and therefore what is the carbon impact of that you know the the data can go right down to the granularity of understanding uh, their idling time and actually if we can reduce the idling time we can reduce the carbon emissions
0: sustainability experts know in broad terms what is needed to make improvements on site but Zoe says that improved data availability will allow her to make her advice more specific.
4: We all know that if you reduce the amount of material you use, that is obviously going to reduce some some carbon because it's just less. But actually knowing the sort of the nuances of it and and how we can make those reductions and it's it's about being a bit more efficient. Um, and I think that by collecting the data you have from, from from the suppliers, you're sort of broadening your your knowledge and and your understanding. Um, and therefore, the the advice that we can give, I think, is is better, and it improves that collaboration with suppliers. So rather than us just saying we want a more sustainable material, we can be specific with them, um, and we work we work together with them. And I think I think that works um, works really well.
1: Here is Stuart Harvey, major projects director at TfL, who has a lot of experience with the way we currently do things, but is constantly looking for ways to improve our infrastructure.
5: Hi, I'm Stuart Harvey. I'm Director of Major Projects for Transport for London. So I run the entire project management office for Transport for London. Um, and I also lead all the major projects in Transport for London. So all the difficult, uh, more expensive, complex, politically focused projects such as you know, Northern Eye Extension, new signalling systems, new trains, our big station schemes. So anything principally over sort of half a billion, although I do some stuff that's not quite that expensive.
0: Stewart is taking a leading role in driving the living lab forward. And he sees one major issue that needs to be overcome in infrastructure, if it is to approach the efficiency gains made in other sectors. Yeah, I think the use of data
5: is, is really a, a, an interesting challenge going forward because it's very difficult to collect data in a meaningful way. Um, such that we can put it together and make really coherent decisions with it. So I think I think it's the challenge of contrasting, comparing even in our own organisation about you know, how we're doing on one project from another, from one experience to another, um, yet alone taking it outside of an organisation, which is an even bigger challenge. In terms of schemes like this, I, I think they're important uh, because they're going to let us harness data in a much more intelligent way. So it'll be much easier to compare... Even with our own organization, different elements of, yeah you know, we c- certainly we have renewals projects and big parts of our major projects do involve carrying out quite repetitive tasks. And I think this is hugely important to try and make sure we carry out those repetitive tasks in an ever more efficient way. Uh, understanding through data, even our own organization, how cost outcomes and time outcomes of those fairly repetitive but fairly large tasks vary and understanding why they vary and then you when you when you plug that into other organizations that will give us an even greater opportunity to signpost the way to where other organizations are doing things more efficiently than us or not as efficiently and just having a good conversation to understand why that's the case and how we might change the outcome for all people that use in this initiative
0: but what are these repetitive tasks that stuart identifies as prime targets for standardization.
5: In terms of repetitive tasks, that sounds a bit boring, doesn't it? But actually they're not. A lot of them are hugely difficult tasks. And one thing I'd say before I go into that in a bit more detail is with, with technology comes a much greater ability to compare ourselves across organizations. You know, Maybe 10, 15 years ago, we did things quite differently, but with new technology, we're actually homing on and doing things in a very similar way, and a good example might be the you know, di- use of um, digital surveys, the use of digital twins, so I think there is great opportunity to exploit the fact we can get much greater data, but some examples are off-site, so we at the moment on a, in our signalling equipment room space, we do a lot of construction with bricks and mortar in situ, and I'm comparing that, looking forward to how we can do more off-site construction of equipment rooms and actually um, get them wired up and fitted with equipment off-site, craned into place. But to know if that's really cost-effective, you've got to understand you know, and be able to care that, compare that to existing construction practices and also then understand how that new off-site technology is landing when you actually use it in, in, in a new way going forward and how that's different maybe from each site you try and deploy it in and really try to unpack the data to understand why you're getting get different outcomes and actually move towards the very best outcome all the time and continuous improvement.
0: This is a new approach, new technology, and the construction and infrastructure sector has challenges to overcome that makes it unfair to draw like-for-like comparisons with manufacturing. The Living Lab will have to contend with these. I think the first challenge is an, an input challenge. So. Will we,
5: we will be able to capture real-time data. And by that, I mean, will people trust putting data into the lab? And of course, they should do because it's for the greater good and to understand that we can drive benefit for all. Uh, I think one of the other key challenges is how you compare
0: apples to apples. So it's very, very difficult to compare Installing something on a Victorian to a Greenfield railway site, for example. It's
5: difficult to compare installation of equipment on a road that might be shut with no traffic over a long weekend to try to install the very same equipment on a railway that might be operating. So I think that's the big challenge, but we can't use that as an excuse for making progress. But I think by getting data from the living lab, we can can start to contextualise it and understand it. And the more we put data in, the more we can make sure it is fit for purpose in terms of comparing apples to apples. You know, it's a brave step forward, we have to do it, because we could always have an excuse why we don't try and use data. Uh, but shame on us if we don't overcome those excuses and help it drive a more efficient future.
0: This is all still to come, and it is sometimes dangerous to speculate about the future. But here's Neil Robertson again, who is absolutely happy to.
2: I think we can speculate because, you know, the, the, if we just take the railway bit of this, okay, it's wider than the railway, but just take the railway bit of it, just now. <clears throat> There's lots in the railway that haven't changed in 150 years. <laughs> so, you know, change is slow. And that's right because we want, you know, we don't want mad things. We want things to last and be safe. So the, the future will be recognizable, I'm afraid and in in this space and a building site will be recognizable and a, a maintenance site will be recognizable there will still be people hopefully more women and more diverse workforces you know out at night fixing the track and they will be holding bits of technology that they don't hold now but they'll still be doing stuff on the track they'll still be down in the tube tunnels fixing things that break That will be the same, but how they do it will be different, but it'll be recognisable. But here's what will be different. Unit costs will be 20% less because we will have squeezed out the the low-hanging fruit.
0: Neil says that the people running all of this will look different, a more diverse group of people, but they will also talk differently. They
2: will talk a language that you might hear in more like manufacturing or even bits of utilities and they will talk the language of whole life costing
0: which he says that in the past only the tech evangelists and the weirdos which he uses affectionately have really been interested in but this will change and is changing we want normal
2: people <laughs> non the non weirdos to be talking about whole life value and standardization even so it, it it will be it will be different and the other thing that will be different is there will be more, there'll be more technology because investment will become easier because there'll be a climate to invest.
0: And what he says is his favourite example of the impact of this, a complete game changer, is in the energy sector. And regular listeners will know that we are fans of this particular case at Engineering Matters.
2: A few years ago, there wasn't an offshore wind industry. And then there was one and they charged 154 quid for their product, a megawatt hour, yeah, 154 quid. It's now 40 quid. And network rail by purely renewable power. So the trains are powered by renewable.
0: And if there's one thing that the majority of the planet agrees on, says Neil, it's that our world is in bad shape. Then that
2: example, can show you that we can do things differently because that was created by whole life costing with informed policies in government. So the government said to the energy industries, we will create an environment for you to invest by giving you certainty. So you can have a 20, 15 year contract and in return, you do your stuff, do the stuff that you're good at in the private sector, invest and innovate. And guess what happened? The whole life costs absolutely tumbled, and therefore, we're getting cheap renewable power now. It's a huge success story. And uh, we don't need to have as big a success story as that, fortunately. But, you know, we can do something that looks a bit like that.
0: For context for our international listeners, Prime Minister Boris Johnson recently referred to the UK's coastal regions as the Saudi Arabia of wind power. But here's Tim Embley looking at what this might mean for the infrastructure sector as a whole.
3: This project's right in the heart of this business transformation. And we've seen other industries go through this, manufacturing went through this 20, 30 years ago. And our industry is right on the cusp of reinventing its business model. It recognises it needs to do something uh, drastically different. Technology is, allow- is going to allow us to do that. But an industry that's predominantly fragmented in terms of the way it's bought, so the way it's procured and the way it delivers, Um, it's become very highly effective of doing what it it, it needs to do at those sort of points of contact, whether it's digging a hole or whether it's piling or whether it's constructing something. But what we'll see is the transformation uh, across supply chains as they become digitized, as the flow of data becomes more available, and decisions are able to be made more efficiently and effectively. So we'll see agility in the supply chain, very similar to the technology sector, so we'll be able to change very quickly. Uh, We'll see the flow of information uh, in the same way that banking have got flows of information and they can understand uh, spend patterns. And then in terms of the manufacturing industry, uh, how they've got their efficiency through, if you look at a sort of manufacturing plant say a Jaguar Land Rover, that they, un- they can understand how efficient each one of those vehicles are coming through their manufacturing supply chain. And it's that sort of efficiency savings we will start to see on our construction sites through the IICC and the data collection of this data, making the relationship between government clients in an industry really important in terms of the flow of that information and what can be achieved through an, through an industry that has become digitally enabled.
1: Here's Stuart Harvey again, who hopes that being able to point to the data itself will help make the argument to more people working in infrastructure that change is a good thing.
5: I would use the word game changer. At the moment, yeah, you know, I consider myself to be you're reaching for innovation and a fit more efficiency, but, it, but it's quite difficult to bring people along with you because you, you haven't really got anything to point to and say, look, it's over there, if only we could do that. So I think the Living Lab and the IACC gives us a real opportunity to be able to reference other success and, and show that in other industries um, things can be done. So I think bringing people with you is going to be much easier in the future. And actually, stealing with pride is going to be much easier in the future. And both of those things have got to help all our industries.
0: Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. Our producers are Alex Conacher, Bernadette Ballantyne, Rian Owen, Ross McPherson and Tim Sheehan. This episode was written and hosted by me, Alex Conacher. My co-host was Rian Owen. Sounds Engineering by Ross McPherson series supervision by John Young, and our own intelligent control centre is Rory Harris. Special thanks to Costain, the National Skills Academy for Rail, and Transport for London. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website engineeringmatters.reby.media, or share us on Twitter and LinkedIn.